0: Going on, mate. Great to be along for some more half-assed history this week. On the agenda, going to be having a chat about the assassination of James A. Garfield. Now, a number of American presidents have been assassinated. Of course, pretty buck wild stuff has come out of the uh, the history of the U- of the US presidency. But this story here, I'll tell you what, a lot of interesting little uh, sort of. Details uh, came out of this uh, this whole story here that, that have kind of escaped the attention of most people who, you know, of course, know a lot more about the assassination of people like Lincoln, people like Kennedy, and and, and even McKinley. But uh, the assassination of uh, of Garfield was is, oh geez, there's, there's a lot of you know, a lot of crazy stuff came out of this uh, this story. So let's get to it and have a chat about what went on, uh, you know, uh, during this period here. So we're going to start off with our our dramatis personae here, the people who are involved in the, in this little saga that took place here. And of course, beginning with James A. Garfield himself, the man, the myth, the legend, let's have a chat about what he was all about. So in 1831, this bloke was born uh, on a little farm in Ohio, and uh, he actually, uh, he fought as a major general uh, in the Civil War before he entered politics. So this bloke, he's been around, you know, started in the, started off in the in the farm, worked his way uh, towards becoming, you know, not just a, a military man, but, you know, pretty pretty well up in the chain of command there, and then enter, entered politics and, and ultimately uh, makes a successful bid for the presidency. Now, the other person, of course, that's uh, Probably the, the the biggest the major player in this story is uh, is another bloke named Charles Gateau now Charles Guteau, uh is, is of course the man who who ended up shooting James R Garfield spoiler alert I mean he, he did You already sort of knew he was going to get assassinated here so you know sorry to sort of ruin it for you there but uh, Gateau was the bloke who pulled the trigger and he was born 10 years after Garfield in 1841 to a quite a large family of religious zealots he was born in Illinois with him. Uh, with <clears throat> And uh, he worked as a lawyer and also as a theologist uh, with them uh, there. And uh, he was, I'll tell you this much, he was uh, definitely a few stubby short of a six-pack for, for a number of reasons. So first of all, you know, this this religious zealotry kind of got stuck in there nice and deep. And he uh, he ended up being part of this sort of religious polygamous cult for a few years, which obviously is, a, you know, raising a couple of eyebrows up and down there like that. But uh, also when he was a bit younger, he actually nearly got committed by his family. He nearly got committed to a, uh, to a psychiatric or a psychological institution there because he tried to attack his sister with an axe when he's out in the backyard he's you know chopping firewood or whatever else he's doing tonight you anyway, know she comes out she goes what are you doing mate jeez you look like an idiot trying to chop that wood. Well, you don't even know how to use that axe do you and he goes well mate i'll tell you what i'll show you exactly how much i know how to bloody use this axe and he, he I'll, I'll chop you to bits with it mate how you like that and he ran at his sister with his axe and luckily she wasn't uh, she wasn't hurt but uh, all the same after this uh his family was like well this bloke he's you know he's he's not even a squirrel's portal over here so we're gonna we're gonna have him uh, chucked away chucked in the loony bin there but he, he did actually manage to flee he ran away before he Could be uh, you know sort of captured and uh, and committed there, so uh, he ended up uh, you know essentially you know moving away from his family in this in this regard. But I tell you what, he's he's you know proclivity to be absolutely bloody bonkers didn't go anywhere because uh, when he started getting involved in politics he was actually just as much of a, a wacko essentially uh, even at that stage and, and at that stage this is when garfield is campaigning for the presidency he's, he's campaigning for pre-selection which obviously is a is a political process in the united states that people will probably be familiar with given the the sort of the huge amount of attention gains in the lead up to any presidential race um and at this stage uh, one of the major front runners for the republican party is ulysses s grant right of another another uh, uh you know, hero from the uh, from the Civil War. Now, um, uh, initially, Guiteau throws his support behind Grant, which, you know, isn't saying too much because Guiteau is basically next next to being no one at all. But all, all the same, he publishes a, a speech. He writes this speech uh, supporting Grant, and it's entitled rather ingeniously, Grant Against Hancock. And Hancock was obviously the, uh, the, the opposing um, uh, nominee that he was going to have, that, that Grant was expected to run against. Now, um, the problem here was Grant didn't end up getting the pre-selection. He didn't end up getting the nomination. And, and when Garfield was the one who, who was nominated for the 1880 election, uh, Guiteau pivots masterfully here and rewrites or sorry, doesn't even rewrite, just changes the speech to be called Garfield against Hancock, and just essentially does the old win, uh, Microsoft Word uh, Control H find and replace, and removes all uh, mentions of Grant and changes it instead to Garfield. Now that's that is the essentially the extent of all he does to support the uh, the Garfield presidential campaign. But when Garfield wins the election, if you'll believe this, Gateau decides that his speech was pivotal. And and almost responsible for the victory uh, that Garfield had enjoyed, and therefore Guiteau deserved a diplomatic post for services rendered. So he was that convinced that he'd actually swung the race in Garfield's favour, that he was expecting to be rewarded for it, essentially. So what Guiteau does is he starts to hassle Garfield and other prominent Republicans up and down the East Coast. Um, and, 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 you know, there are, there are senators up in New York and there are people who are, you know, sort of in the higher echelons of the, of the American, uh, of, the, of the US government at this stage. And Guiteau's going around knocking on their doors and all this, mate, get stuff. We're not interested in you. you like go and, I mean, go and talk to the president if you're that worried about it, you know. Go and, you know, try to fob him off, obviously, trying to get rid of him. But rather than, you know just giving up, Guiteau does exactly that. He marches down to Washington, D.C., and he starts to harass Garfield personally, right, as well as these other prominent Republicans. And because in these days, the public, you could you could visit the president in the White House, you know, just like any other sort of government office, just like a bank. You'd go there, you'd take your little ticket, you'd sit on your little, uh, you know, your little wait in the waiting area there, flipping through Women's Weekly or whatever else, waiting for uh, your time to go up and actually have a personal consultation with the president. And Guiteau did this day in and day out out this was this was quite astonishing because he's behaved. he was as i say absolute wacko right he's got no money so what he's doing he's going around from boarding house to boarding house um uh, looking like an absolute vagrant and smelling like a tip because he he isn't able to pay his bill at any of these places so we'll go there stay a, stay a night and then you know when he's essentially chased out after they start to you know try to try to get the money off him he's like no, no he's out of here and then he's off down to the next one next one and, and what have you and and he's not washing, he's not showering, he's not shaving, he's not able to take care of himself. So he he looks and smells like an absolute vagrant here. And every day he's going to the bloody White House, expecting an audience with the president. Now, of course, you know to begin with, he he is he, able to make this claim to Garfield, and what he says, and I, this is this is very funny as well. Kitto, so he walks in there, he says, "Hey, going old fella, oh, good to see you, Jimmy. Listen, mate, because of that speech, I am going to grab a diplomatic post off you, you know, just to, just to say thank you. That's all right, no worries at all. Um, I would like to, uh, I'd like the ambassadorship in Vienna, if that's all right right? Although I suppose I will settle uh, for Paris. And, and, and he did, you know, he was saying he would settle for Paris, which actually, I think is actually pretty, pretty you know, this bloke, because Vienna. I don't know if you've ever been to Vienna. I tell you what, absolutely beautiful city, beautiful city, one of the most romantic places on earth. Definitely get down to Vienna if you got to, you know, bring someone along like that. They're going to, they're going to absolutely love it. Uh, and Paris obviously, rubbish I've never had a good time in Paris and I don't I think goteau was you know a bit ahead of the time there he knew that Paris is a bit a bit of a waste of time to be honest but you know he would settle for it all the same very generous of him but uh, Garfield essentially tells him to stick it up his bum and uh, and get out of here and stop wasting his time and to the point where eventually Garfield has to go to his uh, you know his mates and he, the other staffers that are there and uh, and and just essentially block geau from ever coming into to seeing him and so he gets fobbed off and uh, it's at one point the Secretary of State James G Blaine uh, comes to Guiteau and says mate you've got to stop coming in here you've just got to go and get stuff we're not interested in talking to you we don't, we just we don't have anything to do with you mate you you know you 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 smell like rubbish we're just really not into the this whole situation so would you please just go and find something else to do with your time now Guiteau is not happy about this he, he's not happy about this at all he's he's super super miffed that he's been uh, you know he's been sort of palmed off like this this rejection doesn't sit well with him at all and he then decides that god has told him to kill Garfield, uh, which is not the most sort of measured response to a to a situation like this. But nonetheless, that is the path that he chooses to take here. So Guto, he, uh, he he rounds up some he rounds up some cash somehow. He borrows fifteen dollars. Now I'm not sure exactly how he, he got his hands on this money, but he managed to find himself fifteen bucks, which is almost four hundred dollars today. I'm, I'm sorry i'm talking in united states dollars here in u.s dollars uh, almost 400 bucks in today's terms. so so quite a quite a sizable loan that he, he managed to secure there and with this money he actually bought a gun he goes and buys a gun with it now he doesn't know anything about firearms at all he knows i mean i guess he knows that you point one end away of you away from you and, and then squeeze one other bit and then a loud noise happens and the other person falls to the floor but essentially he didn't know anything about you know the quality or the, the i mean I, i'm showing my ignorance here as well, because I don't know too much about either. Anyway... He goes into this gunsmith and he buys an extremely powerful revolver, the sort of thing you know you could kill an elephant with it at, at, at you know at a couple of paces, or whatever else. And but and he and this this is what's just the most ridiculous thing about this story. After buying a, a gun that is that is entirely inappropriate for a, for an assassination, he also paid extra for one with an ivory grip. So there are two identical models. One has a normal wooden grip, and the other one has a, a nice sort of inlaid ivory grip, right? And Guiteau buys the one with the ivory group despite it costing more because he thought it would look better in a museum after he'd used it to shoot the president he was thinking that far ahead he thought oh well flo-, you know folks are going to flock to the uh, james R. Gar- a garfield memorial museum and they're going to want to be impressed by the gun that did it i can't just use any old shooting stick here i need something very special so he has actually pays extra for this you know special looking uh, ivory handled gun anyway he spends a few weeks practicing shooting the gun um, and, you know, nearly gets knocked on his ass the first time he fired it. Uh, but apart from this, you know, he he gets his, he feels his way around it and, and, and gets to sort of figure out how it's going to work. And uh, this is just, I mean, you know, that's a reasonable step of preparation to take, I feel. If you're going to try to shoot someone dead, at least get some practice in. But the other thing it, is in, it does in preparation for this assassination is he goes to the Washington, D.C. jail and asks for a tour because he wants to be acquainted with where he anticipates he'll be locked up for the rest of his life. He actually wants to become, you know, because he expects to be locked up there, he actually wants to go and become familiar with the area that he assumes is going to be his new home. This bloke obviously is just... I I mean, I tell you what, he's he's, he's well and truly... He's a lot of sandwiches short of a full picnic here. I don't know what's going through his head. Anyway... The stage is set after he has uh, made all of these sort of preparations, and he's ready to actually start stalking down the president and to find an opportunity to to put a uh, to put a slug through. Now, back in the day, this actually wasn't all that difficult, as the president's his itinerary, essentially the president's movements and itinerary, were published in the papers. It, it was just public knowledge where these uh, where, where the you know he was going to be with all his all his other staffers and, and you know his meetings, his schedule, whatever else. Anyone anyone could read about where he was going to be at what time, and so. Uh, Guiteau, you know, he, he buys his copy of the whatever Washington Times and Washington post and uh, and, and and flips through it and, and finds out where the where the president's going to be and starts to tail him and, and, and track his movements now the first opportunity he has is uh, is actually one that he doesn't take he decides against shooting Garfield when it, when you know when there's a time to strike there because his wife was with him and gatone knew that uh that, that that Garfield's wife was was of a relatively sensitive disposition and uh, didn't want her to get all arced up she was a bit unwell and didn't want her to be too upset by you know having her husband murdered in in front of her he thought it would be much better to do it uh, you know it, 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 with some level of privacy for the wife so an interesting level of uh, of empathy and care there for someone who is again attempting to blow the brains out of uh, of this person that he's after anyway the, the 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 time he finally strikes here is on the 2nd of July in 1881 Guiteau knows that garfield uh, is going to be catching a train at the baltimore and potomac railroad station it's not there anymore unfortunately it's been demolished it doesn't exist anymore but this is the time where where Gouteau goes and plants himself there in the crowd, ready to see the president and ready again to put a bullet in his skull. Now, Garfield, he rocks up at the station there with his two sons, as well as Blaine, his secretary of state. And additionally... Robert Todd Lincoln was there. Now, Robert Todd Lincoln is the son of Abraham Lincoln, and uh, while he actually didn't see his dad get assassinated in Ford's Theatre, he did watch him die. He was in the room uh, over the road where where Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, finally met his uh, met his end there in that in that little bed. You can go and visit it today in DC. I very very highly recommend it. Fantastic display they've got on uh, there at Ford's Theatre. Um, but not only. Was was uh, Robert Todd Lincoln? You know, there for, for when his father died. He was also, if you'll believe this, he was also at the Pan American Exhibition where William McKinley was assassinated in 1901. So not only did he watch his father die after being having been assassinated, not only was he with James A. Garfield when he was shot as well, but also he saw William McKinley get shot. So he was there for three presidential assassinations. I don't know if his spooky ghost was hanging around and that grassy knoll to see kennedy uh, get one between his eyes but that was the that was what happened back then it's incredible after this actually after this assassination in 1901 with mckinley robert todd lincoln refused to attend any and all presidential functions because he was he thought he was the kind of uh, you know reverse presidential rabbit's foot there so he wouldn't have anything to do with him anyway 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 so garfield He's there with his little crew, and they're going to head into the waiting area to chill, maybe, you know, pop, uh, get a couple of jars into them and just chill out, have a good time, no worries, right? Now, there is no presidential security in those days. There's no Secret Service. The Secret Service is actually only um, charged with protecting the president uh, after 1901 with the assassination of McKinley. Before that, <laughs> their main role, which is quite funny, uh, uh, the main role of the Secret Service was to prevent postage fraud, which I thought, you know, they've sort of pivoted quite, uh, quite, quite profoundly there. Anyway. Um Guiteau, while, while Garfield is there wandering through to the waiting area, Gateau leaps out from the crowd. He's, he's brandishing his gun. And uh, just like that, he shoots Garfield straight in the back. And then again, when the president throws up his arms, the president throws up his arms, he goes, my God, what is that? Which is not particularly the most sort of, you know, heroic thing to yell at a time like this. But, you know, let's give this bloke some credit. He's just been bloody shot in the back. So, you know, settle down. Anyway, he, he cops two of these slugs right in the back. Now, Guteau, as soon as he shot the president twice like this, he tries to scarp, he tries to get out of there quick smart, but he barrels straight into, if you'll believe it, it's ridiculous, he turns around, tries to run away, and he runs straight into a cop, he runs straight into a policeman, off-duty, Patrick Kearney is this bloke's name. Kearney was so stoked to nab the bloke who had just capped the president that he forgot, while he's uh, uh, affecting the arrest, he gets him, wrestles him to the ground, rawr, rawr, grabs him like this, and he forgets to actually disarm him. So Guto is there with the revolver still in his possession while Kearney is, is arresting him and wrestling him to the ground. But uh, despite, obviously, uh, people at the station wanting to lynch this bloke after he's just been arrested, uh, Kearney actually fends them all off, he keeps them all away, and he does manage to to take uh, Gouteau down to the cop shop down to the police station there so he can you know face the consequences of his actions so not a clean getaway at all quite a quite a, well, a, a rather bloody filthy getaway you'd have to say there for Gouteau because as I say turns around and runs straight into a policeman when he's trying to affect his getaway so that's the way it goes there. Gouteau uh, having been caught by the well rather short arm of the law I have to say there Garfield bleeding out of the pavement and that was how the assassination went down. So after having been shot like this, Garfield is taken back to the White House. All of the doctors, of course, are summoned, all the presidential doctors are brought around uh, to attend to this bloke. And uh, unfortunately, they don't think he's going to make it through the night. One of the bullets uh, is still in him, uh, and uh, he's got a terrible fever. And generally, things are looking pretty bloody grim for Garfield. But I tell you what, he's a, he's a fighter, this bloke. He digs in deep, he rallies. And uh, oh, through over the night, he actually starts getting better. And, and it actually looks like he may make a recovery. Now, while he's convalescent in bed, while he's recovering there and resting, quite a few pretty interesting things happened. Some of them not really the sort of thing that you'd expect to be associated with a presidential assassina- assassination at all. So for example, first thing was that the uh, uh, one of the very first sort of rudimentary air conditioners was invented here uh, to keep Garfield cool because obviously middle of the summer there in DC, very, very hot, very humid. Uh, and, and what happened was uh, some of his attendants they invented essentially what is this very primitive air conditioner? They had big boxes of ice and had air continually blown over the ice towards the president to try to keep him cool, try to keep the room cool. They they again what is what is functionally today you know an air conditioning system? They they sort of came up with that as a way to try to keep the president nice and cool there. But the other thing that's even that that's sort of even more interesting here is that Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, who you know is sometimes credited with having invented the telephone. Obviously, that's a huge, big debate. There, I'm not going to get into that today. But uh, Alexander Graham Bell, in any in any anyone's language, a very, very famous inventor. He visited Garfield while he was there in bed uh, with a primitive metal detector because, of course, there's still this bullet lodged somewhere in Garfield's body, and they cannot find it. So Bell is there; he thinks he's the man for the job. He's like, "No worries, fellas. Give me this. Uh, give me your access to the president. There, I'll use this the, this metal detector, and I'll find where this bullet is, and we'll all be laughing. No worries at all." So this attempt is, you know, a, a sort of. Uh, Promising as it as it could have been, uh, it failed miserably, and there were, there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, uh, the metal frame of Garfield's bed was uh, was keeping the thing you know going off like a fire alarm the entire time, so they didn't move him out of this metal framed bed to, for for Bell to be able to search properly. And the second bit, which is just unbelievable, is that the head doctor, the self appointed chief doctor, I might add, uh, D. Willard Bliss he wouldn't let Bell search on the left-hand side of Garfield's body because he thought it was on the right-hand side, the bullet, that is. He thought the bullet was on the right-hand side of the body and so wouldn't even let Bell check. Bell's like, no, no, mate, honestly, it'll just take a second. I'll just pop around the other side They have a look, and Bliss is like, mate, don't waste your time. Don't even bother. I'm a busy bloke. Just get it done, you know, and, and we'll, we'll just get out of here. I, I, you know, don't even bother looking on this side when, of course, that's probably where the bullet was. And uh, as a result, Bliss makes himself look like a bit of a bloody idiot. And I'll tell you this, it wasn't the only thing he did that made him look like a bit of a turkey because these doctors, they were beyond incompetent. It was incredible. They, they, They stuffed it all up monumentally. So first of all, they dug around inside Garfield's wounds with dirty fingers and unsterilized instruments searching for the bullet. So they've just been down bloody KFC. They've licked the, you know, the, the, the chicken, the 11 secret herbs and spices off their fingers. And then they're just digging around like these dirty, grotty, dirty, grotty fingers inside the body of the president trying to find the, the, this, uh, this stray bullet. And... Even worse than this, one of these idiots punctures Garfield's liver while poking around with, I don't know, a, a fork that was left over from his lunch or whatever else. Unbelievable. So, so stupid. And, you know, they'd also, as, as, you've, as I've already said, they'd completely stuffed up their guess of where they thought the bullet was. They think it's over there on the right. It was actually over there on the left. Or, and, and there was just no, there was no way they were going to find it because they had no idea where it was. Now, on top of this, you know, it gets, it gets even worse here. They didn't know at this stage or didn't believe that you have to keep things clean. You have to keep medical equipment clean and sterile when using it to put it inside other people's bodies. So Garfield ends up with blood poisoning because the doctors are so inept at what they're doing. It's horrendous, right? This bloke gets uh, gets full on blood poisoning because they don't know how to do their jobs. And by the time he dies, poor old Garfield, by the time he dies, his body was filled with pus uh, because of the septicemia, brought on by using dirty, filthy, horrible, disgusting old medical tools that hadn't been cleaned. Now, Garfield dies finally, this poor blo- poor bloke here, he dies finally on the 19th, 19th of December in 1881 at the age of 49. Now, today, doctors believe that Garfield actually could and also should have survived if his doctors at the time had been, well, you know, bloody actual competent doctors if they'd known what they were doing so it's actually a bit of a needless death here for poor old Garfield uh, who suffered enormously at the hands of, of the people who were supposed to be treating him but uh, as we say that is the end of him unfortunately as I say in September he uh, he finally uh, well I was going to say bites the bullet but you know he would already sort of done that in a in a, in a in a figurative sense anyway that's the end of him he's, he's put six feet under and that is the end of uh, of poor old President Garfield but what happened to Guiteau on the other hand Guiteau obviously is going to face trial for his actions here and until then he remains uh, locked up until November. This is when the trial finally begins so he, he's in the lockup for quite a number of months there uh, waiting to, to be seen to. Now his trial was an absolute bloody circus and he wasn't the only clown there. It was ridiculous the stuff that went on during the trial of Charles Guiteau. So first of all I'll just, I'll just give you some highlights. I'll just give you the, the highlights package, the, the highlights reel here from the trial the, the trial of, of Charles Guiteau. First of all he constantly criticised his own defence team publicly in the court. He was always having a crack at them, always having a go, getting arced up and telling them how bad they were, badly they were doing in front of, you know, the rest of the court like that. Just, just you know, yip yapping about, about how bad he thought his defence team was. Uh, eventually, he just decides to write his own defence. And the way that he decided to uh, to write this defence was in the form of long poems that he would then read to the court at length, This is this was ultimately the way that this guy decided was the best way forward. He thought, no, 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 I've got it. Don't even worry about it. Do it as dramatic poetry. Don't even worry about it. I'll be off Scott bloody free. Now, the other thing he does, I don't know if you'd been watching, you know, early episodes of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire because what he did was the old bloody phone a friend trick. He actually started asking people in the audience for advice when posed, you know, by, with a question or a piece of evidence or whatever else like that. He would actually go, oh, uh, you there in the, in the audience, yeah, you bloke in the hat there with the moustache. What do you reckon i should say what do you think the best way forward here like this this is this is just the way that he thought he's you know he was going to get himself off the off the charge here by just asking randoms who would come to you know gaze at this spectacle as, as it was unfolding anyway uh he'd also uh, put on uh, little singing numbers as well not only poems he would also sing uh while 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 defending himself which is you know i don't know if he had a Voice of a nightingale. He hoped to impress the uh, the court with that, but that was a, that was one of the things he did. And the most unbelievable thing that happened during out during the whole court proceeding was it was when he took out a personal ad in a newspaper to try to pull a bird. He was actually trying to flirt and court with women while on trial for having murdered the president. So this bloke is just, I don't know what planet he's living on, but I tell you what, I don't even know if it's in this solar solar system. Might not even be in this bloody galaxy. He's that far removed from the realities of planet Earth. Anyway, he tries to wriggle out of the murder. This is his, his, his main defence. He tries to wriggle out of the murder by saying that the doctors had killed Garfield. He says, I deny the killing, although admit the shooting. Now, I actually kind of... I'm I'm kind of impressed by this defence because there's a level of truth to the fact that the doctors, I mean, didn't exactly help Garfield not die. But I think old your toe needed to remember that if he hadn't had the bloody bullets put him in the first place, he probably would have had an easier time of surviving through to the next year. I I would say just, you know, on balance, balance of probabilities there. So I don't know how watertight that defence was. His lawyers attempted to use the insanity defence, of course, which I can't imagine that would have been too difficult to try to stitch together. But uh, the, the, the biggest obstacle to this, after the lawyers had said, oh, you know, this bloke's obviously wacko. He was insane. He doesn't know what he was doing. Gato came out and said, no, I'm not. No, no, no. I know exactly what I was doing. I'm not insane. No, no, no. no, Don't, don't do that one. That's a, that's a bad move. I'm not going to take that right. I, I knew exactly what I was doing, mate. I knew exactly what I was doing. So the whole insanity defence kind of uh, fell apart a little bit there at the end. And uh, overall... Gouteau was just loving it. He's just loving this whole situation. He's loving the attention brought about uh, by this trial. And this, I mean, I know I keep saying, you know, if you'll believe it, I know I keep saying that this story gets more and more ridiculous. His plan, his plan after having been acquitted from this trial, which is what he imagined was going to happen to him, was that he was then going to run for president in 1884. He thought that the fame and the notoriety that he gained by murdering the, the, the previous president would then propel him to victory in the 1884 presidential elections. That was his way forward. Unbelievable, raving lunacy. Anyway, he was quite surprised, therefore, he was quite surprised when the jury found him guilty in January in 1882 and uh, as a result of this uh, this guilty verdict he was then sentenced to death a bit of a rude shock there for gato who again thought he was going to be scot free and living in the in the white house in a number of years unbelievable anyway on the 30th of June in 1882 Guiteau danced up to the gallows, stubbing his toe on the way. Of course, that was actually what he did. He danced up there and, and, and had a bit, you know, it came a bit of a clangor there with his foot. And he shook hands with the hangman and waved to the crowd as his execution was, uh, you know, essentially only minutes away. And he read out a poem. Once again, he, he decided to use this this final uh, sort of brief uh, moment in the spotlight there to read out a poem he had written called, I am going To the Now, on Wikipedia, what what I found very interesting while while having a look at and and, sort of looking into this whole, uh, researching into this whole uh, ordeal that took place here, on Wikipedia, the poem is described as having been poorly received, which I think is a pretty bloody damning piece of criticism for a poem that was read not even once, because he didn't finish it before he was killed, and uh, this is, I I guess, not the sort of the poetic legacy that Guiteau was attempting to secure for himself. Anyway, Um, He had also asked for an orchestra to to be playing in the background while he read out this poem, uh, and this request was denied. In any case, you can read the poem or or what what remained of it, what was recorded of it, because as I say, he didn't get to finish it before he he was uh, hanged uh, by the neck until dead. Uh, But I would say that the insanity that surrounded the, 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 the end of this man's life was altogether fitting uh, based on how just absolutely off the wall bonkers he was for, for you know for most of his his time on earth. So this whole saga was finally put to bed uh, after Garfield's body which had laid in the in the in the US Capitol Rotunda for 2 weeks after he died uh, w- was finally put to rest and a monument was built out for him uh, out in the grounds and and you can still go and visit it there today. Uh, bits of Gateau's brain are uh, currently on display in museums in uh, in DC and also in Philadelphia. They kind of, you know, split up that particular treasure amongst various institutions across the United States. But what's really sort of funny about this whole thing is that the United States didn't really fix all that much up after Garfield died. They didn't really change any of their policies or procedures when it came to presidential presidential security. As I said before, the Secret Service didn't start looking after the president until after 1901, after the assassination of McKinley. And at this stage, I mean, you'd have to say with with three presidential assassinations in four decades, it, by the time the Secret Service actually started doing what they you know doing what they do today, it's about bloody time. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of the assassination of James A. Garfield. So much insanity to sort of, you know, filter through there with the way all of that unfolded, but that is the way that it went there. So, as ever, ladies and gentlemen, you can get on to for all the information you need about the show, latest episodes and what have you. And uh, it, it's there. You can also get in touch with us. Uh, there's a form uh, directly there on the website, or you can send us an email, halfarsedhistory at gmail.com. It's always great to hear from you. That is about it for this. this. This week, of course, uh, leaving you as ever with uh, just something to think about here because, of course, we talked about presidential assassinations. One of the most high-profile political assassinations of all time really would, of course, be the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Now, he was assassinated. uh, There's an interesting fact about his assassination here because he was assassinated at Ford's Theatre on April 15 in 1865 while watching the play Our American Cousin. And interestingly, to this day, he has never found out how the play ends.